Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4,211 of the Bugle, the leading and only repository of uh, reliable, verifiable false facts in both the known and unknown universes. I am Andy Zaltzman, and this week, for the first time ever since early last year, which seems quite like ever ago, I am, wait for it, not only not in the shed, but actually back in a recording studio, an actual three-dimensional, sorry, four di- f- five-dimensional recording studio. This place has got all the mod cons. Back where we used to record in the before times, uh, I can see an actual human producer, Chris, through the strop-proof safety glass. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and my two guests for this week are not hiding inside my computer, staring out of the screen, yearning for freedom. They are here... In person, uh, firstly, please, wherever you are, at home, in the bath, powerlifting in the quarry, playing snooker on a crowded <laughs> horse or in the International Criminal Court, please give your loudest possible welcome back to the Bugle, to Felicity Ward. Yay! Powerlifting in a quarry. What an image. I grew up near a quarry. I'm like, yeah, I did get dig that. It's like an 80s power ballad video. <laughs> uh, how have you been? Oh, terrible. How have we all been? Oh, well, there we go. Let's just get that no, all good, out there. No, good and yep. good and terrible. All yep. it, there has been no no one emotion that can sum up the last two years. I had a baby and there was a pandemic. <laughs> on the upside, I'm on antidepressants and I cannot <laughs> recommend them enough. If anyone is considering it, please do see your GP and a therapist at the same time. Thanks for that uh, tremendously concise review of the decade so far. <laughs> and now, for the first time ever on The Bugle, a man who, when I first worked with him, was eating nothing but cabbage soup out of a thermos flask. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't work, did it? <laughs> Since when? I'm still fat and I've <laughs> got really bad flatus. Over two decades later, he's moved on to solids. He's done yeah. very well. It's a great pleasure to welcome, on Bugle debut, the one-man 17th century British monarchy-related adverb that is Stuart Lee. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. It's great to be here and see, see some people. I, 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 before lockdown, I'd never done a podcast or right. listened to one. Really? Yeah, and um, then I... I love you, Stu. Well, <laughs> just Stu till you die. Like, you cannot be more branded as Stu if you try. No, I've done loads now because I, I, this film, I worked on this film and then it, there was no way of telling anyone about it or seeing it. So <laughs> I went on loads of podcasts. I thought, oh, I see. It's just like talking to people. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Not you'd do anyway, wouldn't you? Yeah. So it's good. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it's great to have you joining the, the, Thank you. the world of recorded conversation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Welcome to the year 2001. <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> there are space packs here. Yeah. yeah so, so some of those, those early gigs we did together, the, the, the Cabbage Soup one, which mm. uh, was in Harrogate. Well, that was an absolutely fascinating tour because that tour, which was organised by the management company you're still with, <laughs> was um, so messed up. The idea was that I was going to tour... The Edinburgh show I'd done under its own name, yep. which I forget what it was. I think, I think it was called Badly Mapped World, and right. I was going to do it in smaller venues, and you were going to support me. But we got to all the places. No one had been told you were going. <laughs> it hadn't been promoted as just my night. I was just booked onto bills with other people, which wasn't the idea. And you you had a strange sort of trip around the country where you, yeah. you'd get to the places, and they go, oh, we were not told he was coming and he's not on the yeah. bill. And you, but you had to go around with me for about yeah. two weeks. Oh, yeah, I, mean, no. I was basically your adopted child for <laughs> like, a three-day trip. Bring to a friend to work. <laughs> it was like Boswell yeah. and Johnson, but with no <laughs> value whatsoever. Yeah, but I have very fond memories of yeah. it. I remember you we saw from, dolphins. We saw dolphins. Yeah, yeah. You, you went off. Um, we, well, we got a little ferry to the Isle of Butte. You were like, you were researching ley lines. 
Was I? Looking for a book. Uh, well, that, that was about as successful as the cabbage soup diet. People are still talking about it, though, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, you went off and watched a load of cricket, I remember, in the end or something. Oh, really? well, or some sounds, sport or sounds something. sounds about right. Yeah. It was about, still doing and it. And that was kind of a... I, I gave up stand-up during that tour right. in Liverpool. I can have that effect on people. Yeah, no, it wasn't you. You <laughs> oh, may right. not have come to the gig, actually, because yeah. you, you even no, stopped I coming... I was, I was at Liverpool. In Liverpool, yeah, yeah, in that club in the docks. About halfway yeah. through, I thought, I just can't be bothered with this anymore. What year was that? 2000, yeah, yeah, two, no, 2000, yeah, and I gave up for about five years, four years, because they, 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 something was happening. A guy kept standing up in the audience and saying, "Talk about illegal immigrants, oh. talk about illegal immigrants," and I thought, oh, well, I said, well, "Why don't you do it?" You know, and I got him up on stage, <laughs> and he started going on, you know, about this, and I thought, "I'll just, this will be really funny. I'll just wait and see what happens." Right, and people were booing him and everything, and in my mind, I sort of had the little metronome going. I thought, I know exactly the right point to stop this and say something. And it will be brilliant. Mm. And then the security guys came into the audience at the request of the management of that club and told me in a threatening way that I had to go back on stage because I was being paid. <laughs> I wasn't being paid to be in the audience. And I had this kind of moment where I thought, I'm, it's my, I decide what I do in my own act. You're not, you don't, the, police. You're not the police. And then I, then I thought, there was, and I knew I would have done something with it. I could have. Yeah, yeah. And then I thought, there's no point. I can't do this anyway, until I can. Until I can do it on my own terms, I just can't. So yeah, I gave I, I gave up right. while I was with you. I gave right, up. Right, okay. Well, <laughs> now I'm people who work with me. It's up someone who work for a while. Is mine in the future? Is my resignation <laughs> coming up? It's a matter of time. <laughs> when John Oliver, of course, moved an entire continent to get away from me. So um, that's just what happens when you work with Zaltzman. Uh, we are recording the Zaltz effect on the fifth of November, twenty twenty one. On this day, in sixteen oh five. A famous day in uh, British history, the uh, massive Catholicism fan Guy Fawkes saw his dreams of blowing up Parliament not go up in smoke as the so-called gunpowder plot was foiled. Fawkes' scheme, of course, had been to distract all the MPs and Lords at the state opening of Parliament with a spectacular firework display, toffee apples and hot dogs, plus glow sticks, uh, whilst providing a free public bonfire to people uh, for people to burn any spare effigies they had lying around the house whilst he sneaked into Parliament and exploded the crap out of it. And we now commemorate this plot here in Britain the failure of which paved the way for today's government of lick-spittling, delusion-mongers and subterfugious pocket-stuffing dastards by risking our children's safety with cheap fireworks that we set off in gardens after drinking homemade punch with a year's worth of leftover booze from the back of the cupboard. Great British tradition. Uh, what are you doing for Guy Fawkes night? Well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to see some comedy and some music. Uh, the, the last Guy Fawkes night I went out, I was beaten up by teenagers. Oh, really? So uh, I don't really get involved. <laughs> How anymore. long ago was that? <laughs> About four years ago. Oh, right. oh that's racist. <laughs> Um, what? How are we talking? Beat like jumped or? Oh, well, I was walking along with the kids, and they were a bit ahead of me. Luckily, it was about six o'clock in Stoke Newington, and about ten kids come up to me, and they were sort of shooting fireworks towards people, and they mm. shot a firework towards me, and it just went past my head like that, and I was more. It's really weird. I, we have got a problem as comics, I think, that we don't have a normal fight or flight mechanism. Yeah, we want to write it down. Yeah, we want to write it down, <laughs> see how bad it can get, yeah, yeah. or or try and understand it, yes. or think we can be funnier than a firework oh. being shot at. <laughs> so instead of going, ah, I just sort of went, what, what have you done that for? What's the point of that? You're you know? like, I've got a five here. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you're already thinking. Did you slowly deconstruct it? How ba- yeah, well, and I said, yeah. you, A, you're going to get really in trouble, and you could have killed me. Then that was like a massive insult. Then he started shoving me around. Then, and I was carrying two happy shopper shopping bags of beans and bread and things, <laughs> and another one came behind me and rabbit punched me in the back of the oh head. Oh, my God. And all my shopping fell on the floor. And I was still doing what you do in a gig <laughs> where you're going, 
No, I can turn this around. I can turn this around. And then, uh, then a, a woman came out of a garden. And when they were going for weapons, a woman came out of a garden and stopped it. And they were embarrassed to be told off by a middle-aged woman. And it kind of dialed down. And then I was sort of standing around. And then they all ran off. And then the one one came back and put my shopping back in the bags. (laughs) And that just shows you they were right on the cusp between being nice little kids and murderers. (laughs) It's a fine line. It is a fine line. I was on the train the other day. And there was a bunch of kids. And there was like a bully walking up and down the train. Now I I just you know I've just ticket got, collector uh, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I mean how people that's why that people stop working around you it's because you're too fast and too sharp <laughs> the glow of your comedy is too intimidating <laughs> so this is like this kid walking and he's like tall for his age he's probably about fourteen he's vaping so he's very tough anyway and they're they're talking to some other girls and they're speaking to them really badly and I'm getting my little chip on my shoulder and I'm you know like clenching my fist. Just for the listeners, I'm five foot four. I'm now a size 14, but I have been a size six in the past. So I could probably like throw a punch now. I couldn't before. So I'm like, I'm, I'm getting worked up. People are moving away from them because they're being little shits. And I'm honestly ready to fight these kids. I'm, I'm 41 on the way to a gig. Like, calm down. So I turn around and there's an old lady and she's asked them not to vape. And they're like, what's wrong? Like getting in her face. And I sort of mouth to her, are you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And I said, well, like I'm out, I'm here if you want me, like I'm going to do anything right. And then one, they're like playing around and then one of them accidentally kicks the, the older lady. And I said, mate, you can't do that. He went, oh, no, no, sorry, sorry, it's an accident. I went, accident or not, you can't kick people. And they're like, and then they go, are you from Australia? <laughs> and I go, yeah, we have a 30-minute conversation. They're like, what's the currency there? Honestly. Pubescent boys are on the verge of greatness. They are on the verge of being these kind, beautiful, pack-your-bag kids. Yeah, Yeah. pack-your-bag after they've rabbit-punched you to the floor. Sorry for the punch. Here's your two-pack of sweet corn. I know. Yeah, isn't it funny? And and um, but the, and the, f- the weird thing was afterwards, I had to go to the police, and they said you have to deal with it in some way. You know, do you want pro- what I did? I, m- I made a model of it out of um, fantasy war Mas- games figures. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> of um, I got I got ten like orc goblin sort of things. Yep. A little model of a street that you get for a for a, for yep. a railway, and some models of like ordinary people that and you get for railway. And then did you do like a stop motion recording and <laughs> send it to the police? <laughs> I haven't, you just reminded me I haven't finished it. I could have finished it in lockdown. <laughs> I could have brought it in, but I didn't. Anyway, sadly, that's all the time we have on the bugle today. Yeah, this has been a long intro, a very long intro. Is this just an intro? Yeah, we haven't oh, started right, the show okay. yet, really. Steve. Wow. <laughs> the news is awful. <laughs> right. On this day in 1499, uh, we had the publication of the Catholicon in France, which is a brochure promoting a special uh, gathering in Paris where people had to come dressed as their favourite Pope, Cardinal or martyred saint. And today, of course, is World Fountain Pen Day. Were you aware of this? No, I've got a biro. Well, well, you've really let the side down. Get out. Uh, So this paragraph of the bugle has been real long in funny pee. But my (laughs) I'm using computers for 30 years. It's really legible, in fact, (laughs) with splotch, splotch, smudge, smudge, doodle. 
Uh, thank God that's over. The rest I've used my usual typewriter. Uh, as always, the Sex North of Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, uh, we've partnered with a new history magazine, How It Wasn't. Uh, it's a new history magazine for today's evidence ambivalent, believe what we want to believe we believe world, dealing exclusively with things that obviously didn't happen and asking not only why didn't they happen, but also why did they not happen? And if that didn't happen, uh, could it have not happened even if it had happened? And isn't that some kind of double negative? So can we actually be sure they didn't happen? This week, could dinosaurs speak Italian? Was Genghis Khan a Freemason from Arizona? Arizona. Did penguins spread the Black Death? Are the pyramids upside down? Does the lack of written evidence specifically stating that it, that it did not take place prove that there was in fact a major Romans versus Mayans sea battle somewhere near the Azores in the year 143 AD? And was Hitler motivated by his rage at not being picked up in the 1921 NFL draft? Uh, that is going straight in the bin. Well, after that possibly longest ever introduction to the bugle, it's time for Top Story this week. The end of the world might possibly now be slightly less nigh than it was a week ago. Uh, it's been COP26 extensively and exclusively trailed on recent, recent bugles. The great and the good of the world have been, uh, well, they've been watching on their tellies as the political and business leaders of the world have flocked to Glasgow to discuss ways of prolonging the human usability phase of this famous planet without losing too many elections and shareholders along the way. Uh, have you enjoyed COP so far? Well, you know, I, I took a cautious... I took a cautious, slight pleasure that something seemed to be happening rather than nothing. Right. That's as much as you can say, isn't it? Yeah. You know, really. Because normally you feel like they're just completely doomed to failure because yeah. of all those reasons that you've just said. But I, I also feel like that it's it's difficult to argue with loads of in, in, intelligent, thoughtful-sounding young people who are genuinely depressed and furious in the street. <laughs> you know, I think it may actually have reached a tipping point uh, mm. with a bit of luck. Yeah. I'm so excited about Generation Z. I just want them to f***ing revolt, mate. Tear the streets up, smash the state, do what you've got to do. We've done nothing for as long as you've been alive. Do feel free to wipe us all out and yeah. continue the planet better. You, you're doing great. Well, the, 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 the rhetoric as well, the, the rhetoric that seemed radical from young people even two years ago is now what a lot of mainstream people do. And in fact, as a little quiz involving the news, or a news <laughs> quiz if you like, Andy, <laughs> I've written down some quotes that are from Greta Thunberg or the Queen. Right. And I want you to tell me which, who you think. Who do you think? Is one Andy. of them touch me on magic? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Who do you think said... The time for words has now moved to the time for action. The Queen or Greta Thunberg? Oh. The it's time for words. The time for words has now moved <laughs> to the time well, for action. Or the is time that for words. Is that the German <laughs> now, no. grandparents? Of <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering who that was. Um, Henning well, Ben. I think, uh, I, I, well, I think that's the Queen. I think I, That I is the Queen. That. Yeah. yeah. All yeah. Right, okay. I'm going to go the Queen. Yeah. Right. Well, you're both right there. Right. Yeah. Who do you think said. You can shove your climate crisis up your arse. <laughs> That's Greta. I saw her chanting it this morning. <laughs> That's right. That's very that much the subtext of. The yeah, point, yeah. Think, you know. <laughs> Who do you think said, "Rise above the politics of the moment"? That Ooh. sounds weak. I'm going to say the Queen. Sorry, oh, Greta. The Queen. It's not being as good as I thought. This. Right. Everyone's getting everything right. <laughs> Who do you think said, "Act for our children and our children's children"? Well, I mean, she might. I mean, is it possible that it was the Queen, but she was overheard speaking to her lawyers regarding the Prince Andrew crisis? <laughs> that, that's what, uh, you know, if you hadn't made that joke, I would have done oh, okay. But it was the Queen. Well done. That was the Queen. But that's like, what about this one? Uh, none of us will live forever. The Queen or Greta Thunberg. Is that a Queen from a? Is that a lyric from a song by <laughs> no, Queen? No, it's not a lyric from a song by Queen. <laughs> right. It's Freddie one of those Mercury. two people. 
Well, it can't be the Queen because she obviously will live forever. I mean, she's reptilian. Clearly, that that song works. I'm going to say the Queen. Right, I'm going to say Thunberg. Right, well, in that case, Felicity wins because oh, it was yes. the Queen. Right. Thank God there was some lack of consensus there. <laughs> that would have been the least interesting news-based quiz ever. <laughs> I'd leave the news quizzery to Stu's Andy like, I've lost my edge. Leave I've it to the edge. fucking pros, Stu. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Mate, you make it seem so easy to do a funny quiz on the radio. <laughs> anyway. I was very impressed. There's, like, been the... the um, I think there's, like, 110 signatories about deforestation and even Bolsonaro from Brazil has signed it, which, you know, proves that he's more dedicating more dedicated to saving indigenous trees than people. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that, the indigenous people, at least people are talking about that, aren't they? They're saying, you know, they, uh, they want to give $1.7 billion to indigenous people to, to encourage them to try and, you know, be carbon neutral or whatever. But having, having basically, having basically the industrialised world having wrecked their environment yeah, by or, or association. Genocided yeah, genocided yeah. cultures and people and yeah. languages. And I mean, whether that will happen, given that most Western museums are still arguing about whether to return their small wooden carvings. It seems a bit yeah, of a stretch. To be fair, a lot of that genocide uh, happened before people had worked out the impact of genocide on, on the environment. So yeah. we, we can't judge it by today's green standards. <laughs> um, but it's interesting looking at the, the, the money that has been 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 pledged, this uh, de- deforestation, this global deal to end deforestation by 2030. I think it was around about $14 billion. Mm. Uh, previously, a similar deal in 2014 has mm-hmm. done in statistical terms absolutely jack shit uh, to stop... <laughs> deforestation um it includes a 1.1 billion deal to save the congo basins rainforest it's the number two ranked rainforest in the current world rankings behind uh, the amazon still on uh, cracking form despite everything um and uh so for 1.1 billion dollars uh you could either save the congo basin rainforest or you could get the broadcast rights for three months of premier league football mm. so i mean it shows how seriously we're taking this shit now <laughs> Is that true? Yeah. That is the most depressing yeah. thing. I, 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 God, I... That's not, I know you're just, a sports sceptic. No, but well, I mean, Stuart. just the thought that yeah. just if you stopped three months football, you could save the enti- an entire yeah, rainforest. But what, would, what would people do? They'd be burning everything just to <laughs> well, make not, football happen. They'd be like, to be fair, we did have lockdown and that didn't happen. Yeah. So it's it's possible. I'm sorry to... Sorry to bring realism into and reality into the room. It seems a pretty rude thing to do on your show. I yeah, know, there's no place in my show. Sorry, sorry, you sorry. You should know sorry. that by now. I just like they've just committed to this before. It's very, it's very hard to be enthusiastic and hopeful. Like my husband, I've been with him for eight years, and uh, very early on, he would fill the kitchen sink when he was cooking with crockery and pans, and I couldn't get a cup under there. I'm small, he's tall. It, it's easier for him to move things around. And we've had many conversations where I've said, hey, it's really hard when you stack everything in there when there's a, there's an area right next door that you can use called the countertop, um, and that's where the, the dishes should go. And he's like, yep, yeah, I'm committed to it. I, you know, we're in this together. And it, But it's eight years later and it's still happening. Right. So. If that is difficult to achieve in a marriage about saucepans, I just think it's a very tall order to ask for these people who are known animals. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it's difficult. It's difficult that we're hosting it at a point where the fact that our government is full of people that lie about things has never been more <laughs> obvious. So it's kind of, in fact, that you know, I mean, as this is as this is unraveling in Glasgow, and we're being asked to take people's word on things. 
in Westminster are just a massive load of stupid lies is happening <laughs> all the time. Just yeah. all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. It's I don't know if you are across the billboards that got put up by an Australian satirist called Danny Illich. He's actually a mate of mine, and he couldn't be at COP twenty six. So he thought, oh, I wonder if I could just get a billboard. And within two hours, he crowdfunded $14,000. So there's, they were in New York in Times Square, and now they're on the outskirts of Glasgow, and he's got one that says um, zero net emissions by 2050, and there's like a kangaroo with its tail on fire. And then there's another one that says cuddle a koala before we make them extinct um, because our Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, yeah. has literally bought a chunk of coal yes, to I, Parliament I in Australia before yeah. Yeah. to make a point. He's... And um, he puts coal on his face, doesn't he, sometimes? Yeah. Is, that, is that him or and another one? And white gloves. Yeah, yeah, and, no. Yeah, no. No, there, no, there's one who puts, who tries to, there's an Australian politician who's always got a bit of coal on him as if he's just come Oh, from the, I mean, that could be Bob Catter. He's, yeah. I mean, there's so many mad <laughs> in Australia. Uh, it, mad behaviour is the only thing that truly, truly encapsulates what we do. And, like, Boris Johnson is a terrible PM and a compulsive liar, but Australia has very strong hold-my-beer energy when it comes to failing on, a, on an international scale. Um, and, and Scott Morrison. I mean, like, the, the French prime Min- uh, president just openly called him a liar in a... And then he, Scott Morrison, leaked the text messages the next day. Like, he's a four-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but people are doing that here now. I mean, the, the, this week... It's the first time that I've seen the, the BBC Today programme journalists heard them just openly laughing at government denials about things and finding them ridiculous because yeah. there's no other option anymore. You know, and so it might, again, I've used the word tipping point twice and I'm aware that I get into these ruts, but it does feel, <laughs> it does feel like something of it. If the, if the cowed, beaten, subservient national broadcaster cannot <laughs> just avoid openly laughing at people just lying, then, you know, maybe we are getting somewhere. Maybe, or I, I just think it's the the audacity of entitlement that the government have. Yeah, that they they, you know, like <laughs> I mean, we'll get to that the was, story. That was Boris Johnson's response to Barack Obama's book, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the audacity of entitlement. <laughs> uh, very funny. Um, oh, just on just on Boris Johnson, by the way. There's a picture of him sitting next to David Attenborough. And Boris Johnson is asleep and he's not wearing a mask. And I just thought, what a what a beautiful Freaky Friday moment that would be if David Attenborough was actually our Prime Minister and Boris Johnson was just an old man in his 90s. Yeah. Not wearing a mask yeah. and about to catch COVID, yeah. you know? Oh, that sounds like the greatest film. That's that, that's, uh, Attenborough was one of the sort of celebrity appearances at the COP26 and it's, I do feel sorry for him because he's, he's trotted out every year to say he's beautifully enunciated... Um, scientifically accurate, undeniably true prophecies of doom. Yeah. And everyone sits around and goes, oh, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. And then just nothing happens nothing. again. I mean, you know, I mean, he must... He's gone from documenting a discovery of the world and its nature to just explaining its, its death yeah. in his own lifetime. <laughs> his own lifetime follows the arc of just the collapse of everything. Every documentary of his is just a suicide note from nature. Yeah. <laughs> Beautifully oh. shot, though. Beautifully yeah, oh, shot. God. Fantas- I mean, only the BBC. It'll win BAFTAs. It'll it win BAFTAs. <laughs> anyway. Um, there have been uh, other celebrities getting involved. Arnold, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, let's hope this uh, this was heartfelt and genuine rather than manoeuvring himself into the Queen's good books now she's sadly single again. Um, he followed Lizzo II's criticism of world leaders 
for being uh, all mouth and not even casually leafing through a trouser catalogue before chucking it on uh, the fireplace. And uh, he pointed out that he has an electric-powered Humvee, which, I mean, I think is the Schwarzeneggian vision of the future <laughs> that we can all get on board with, isn't it? I mean, environmentally friendly attack vehicles for all. Surely that's, that's what we need. Yeah, I mean, this is part of the problem. I mean, what you, there you're having... Um, um, I mean, you know, he's, he seems like a nice bloke and his heart's probably <laughs> in the right place, but he's describing an incredible luxury item, isn't he? And it was it was uh, that it's not available probably to the president of many of the smaller <laughs> countries. Of course, loads of him couldn't afford to attend because Glasgow... Uh, hotels and and uh, Airbnbs and whatever did exactly what they do to us every summer in Edinburgh, which is like went up from one place that's normally forty two pound was one thousand four hundred pound a mate. night during COP. You know, come on. So, what? Yeah. No, not you. Then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just uh, even my like uh, hypothetical anger towards people that aren't here does feel very I'm present. Not, I'm not making it up. For no, it's, it's true. It's just no. like. Literally the only thing that I don't like about Scotland right. is accommodation price, price gouging. Yeah. It's so outrageous. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio has also toddled along to Glasgow. And if anyone uh, should want all the ice caps to melt after what he went through on the Titanic, it should be him. But it shows amazing levels of <laughs> forgiveness that we can only admire that he's now a pro-environment. And uh, Well, you mentioned the Queen and those words uh, that she said, the time for words has now moved to the time for action. Um, it actually moved there quite a long time ago. Um probably in the 1980s, if not before. But the problem is the time didn't get around to sending out its change of address cards. Uh, it's always busy time because it has so little of itself, sadly. Um, Just for the listeners there, Andy had quite a little smirk on his face as he read that because he was so pleased with Absolutely the sentence he'd written. Delighted. I mean, I was just, as he said it, I was thinking, that's really good, it's like Swift or something. But then he looked so pleased with himself <laughs> as he said it that I decided not to say the compliment right. that I was going to say. <laughs> you, can't, you can't make that face when you say those. You absolutely can. I loved it, You can. Andy. It doesn't matter. Normally he's on the news quiz, you see. No one can, no no one can see it. You can't see him at home. You're thinking, smug grin at home you're driving along or whatever and you think, what a witty man. But yeah. then you see him making his pleased with himself face. <laughs> what a prick. What an absolute <laughs> prick. I've been building this, this image up for 14 years on this show and you've just ruined it on your first f***ing time. Um, Boris Johnson, in his uh, in his speech, um, said that the world was at a minute to midnight, uh, which generally he regards as funky time, I believe. Um, <laughs> and um, he began with a speech about how the world is like James Bond in the climactic scene of a James Bond film, um, strapped to a doomsday device. Yeah. Um, the difference being that in a James Bond film, a doomsday device usually belongs to a Tory party donor or someone who mm. looks and behaves as if they could be a Tory party uh, donor. Um, he said two degrees more of warning and we jeopardise the food supply for hundreds of millions of people. That puts it into context. The roads will be so hot that the tyres on Deliveroo bikes will simply pop. Um, three degrees and you can add more wildfires and cyclones, five times as many droughts and 36 times as many heat waves. Sounds like there's some markets to be played there. And four degrees <laughs> and we say goodbye to whole cities, Miami, Alexandria, and Shanghai lost beneath the waves, but none of those are key marginal constituencies. So, frankly, in conclusion, we're f***ed. Yeah, he said he's bringing us... He said that 250 years ago in Glasgow, James Watt came up with a machine powered by steam produced by burning coal, and 250 years later, we've brought you back to the place that this doomsday machine was invented. It's pretty grim, that, isn't it? Um, but again, yeah, the problem is with him saying these things... You just, you just don't believe any of it. No, you just not for don't a second. believe any of it, and it, and there's never been a worse time for someone like him to be in charge of a 
of a developed world economy. You know. And he did yeah. slightly undermine his uh, words and pleasures by then flying back to London on a private jet for his dindins. Um, oh, well, he's hungry. I guess so. Maybe we all get hungry sometimes. Yeah, we all get little hungry hungies. To uh, illustrate the urgency of what COP26 is and or is not dealing and or trying to deal with, a patch of snow in the Cairngorms Mountains in Scotland has melted... For the third time in the last five years, the fifth time in the last 18 years, having only done so three times in the previous 70 and never in the 200 years before that, the famous glob of snow, uh, dubbed the Sphinx, despite being a Scottish blob of snow rather than the human lion, falcon, crossbreed from Egypt, has disappeared into a symbolic and actual uh, nothingness. And... According to stats from the International Association for Noticing When Things Unexpectedly Melt, the only times the Sphinx had previously undergone a full-body defrostification in the last three centuries have been in the years 1933, 59 and 96, then 2003, 2006, and here's the real kicker, 2017, 18 and now 21. The Brexit vote was in 2016. So, you know, three times since the Brexit vote, this patch of snow has melted. It only melted three times in the entire time before the Brexit vote that Britain was part of the EU. Draw your own conclusions, but Brexit is making our mountains turn their snow into tears <laughs> that they weep into the rivers that then wash out into the seas that separate us from the world. Why were we not told that this would happen? It, well, you know what? I know it, you're making a satirical point, but it has been environmentally unfriendly Brexit, hasn't it? It's an, uh, I mean, Gove told us that we would be able to have uh, tighter, he said specifically in 2018, we'll be able to have tighter environmental regulation when we leave the EU. And the first thing that happens is loads and loads of sewage gets discharged into the, <laughs> into the uh, you know, and, uh, and because Brexit, whether Brexit was wrong or right, what has happened is it's put in power some extremely unaccountable, dishonest people who will say one thing and do another and have a massive road-building plan when it's the last thing you need, whatever. So, you know, it is it is, it is, is a sort of environmentally wrong thing. I know that will make people listen to this thing. I'm mad, but it is, it is sort of bad for the environment. Well, it but is it, because it's unregulated. Yeah. Because when you take away other people that hold you to account, yeah, yeah. then all of a sudden you're like, oh, you... You mean the British government has all the controls to do what they want? Yeah. Ooh, what does this button do? Oh, that makes us money. Well, yeah. let's keep doing that. The uh, UK's chief scientific advisor has urged people to do their bit for the environment by eating less meat, reducing the number of flights they take, and embracing green technology. Uh, I mean, we tried all those things in the 13th century and it didn't go too well for us, to be honest. Um, but I, I'm not sure I get the logic of eating less meat. You know, if, if the cows and the beefs are emitting all this methane, surely the more we eat, the less. There are of them to, <laughs> to emit methane to fart our way to Armageddon. <laughs> That's a good point. I've not thought of it like that. Right. Apparently, in the states, e- eating meat has become a sort of what's the opposite of virtue signalling? Vice signalling. Vice signal. Virtue. <laughs> it's become a vice signalling thing for people on the far right in America yeah. to show off about eating meat. Jordan right. Peterson says he only eats meat, and um, Alex in the Daily Beast says Alex Jones, Alex Jones, Infowars founder, um, tweeted a picture of himself red-faced and glaring over a platter of uncooked sausages in 2016, shouting, celebrating America with some red meat, F.U. Obama. So it's become (laughs) a sort of right-wing thing to do to eat meat. It's the opposite of woke. Yeah. Eating meat is the opposite of woke. Yeah, to show that you're not... You're not beholden to the woke green lobby. You eat as much meat as possible oh, right. or only meat. I mean, if they can turn that into fat, if they want to, then by all means, 
they'll be dead a lot sooner. Yeah. You know, if we can if we can actually really turn this into a campaign angle and we can get very far right people to just like go on that meat only diet. PS, when I was a, wait- a waitress, I met a guy who hadn't eaten meat since uh, hadn't eaten a vegetable since 1986. Yeah. <laughs> and he was like 85 and ripped and had like this just like a raglan t-shirt neck uh, neckline on and a short sleeve shirt and he looked incredible. Did he? All he ate was meat. So you're saying that it really worked for him? For, I mean, maybe. Where, where Who knows? was this? This was in Sydney. Right. So, I mean, what happened in Australia in 1986 that made him abandon uh, he, No, veg- he, was, he was actually American. Oh, right. But yeah. he was visiting Australia, and I, he was just in the cafe that I was in. Right. I bet he had some new kind of meat there that he'd not had before. I bet he loved it. Yeah, probably. <laughs> like I mean, crocodiles, kangaroo, kangaroos. mate. There's, there's, no, there's yeah. no fat on that man. Yeah. He just, uh, yeah, I'm sure he loved it. But yeah, I just, you just reminded me. Of I him. think it's really fair of you to, to tell us that because, I, because it's really, it's complicated. I mean, a lot of people will accuse Andy of being woke, woke, <laughs> mm. lefty from the BBC. But we've, the program has made the case for balance there by you're saying the best looking, fittest elderly man you've ever yeah. seen had not eaten anything except meat. He looked since like he could mid-80s. lift a car. Yeah, yeah. Like, and absolutely beat me in an arm wrestle. And I, he may have said that as well like he you know those people that are like yeah, yeah. i look incredible for my age look i'll show you well that's that's put me into a bit of a quandary actually now as i'm one now i'm i came in here sneering at the idea of people that would only eat meat for now but now i'm thinking maybe i'll just go and eat meat but will it make me really right wing though if what, i only eat meat what about a little bit of just like meat in a thermos for you just yeah. like yes. a smoothie <laughs> And maybe if you just have, like, a little bit each day, it'll bring you back to the centre. That's weird, because the last time I was working with Andy, I was only eating cabbage. <laughs> and now, 20, 20 years down the line, I'm going to leave only eating meat. It's, it's the Occam's razor. Yeah. But, I mean, if eating meat is right-wing, then I've had some breakfasts that have been absolute plates of unrestricted fascism. <laughs> and my, my wedding cake might as well have been Enoch Powell. Yeah. Right, well, there we are. That's the environment sorted. Yep. Um, let's move on now to, well, touching on something you sort of hinted at earlier on, uh, Stuart, the uh, the corruption schmozzle in uh, in Westminster. Um, yeah, uh, Owen Patterson, the Conservative MP, has resigned as an MP uh, after, I guess, what can only be described as an absolute schmozzle. There was an investigation into his behaviour that found he'd re- repeatedly and seriously broken parliamentary rules. Uh, he'd been paid uh, more than £100,000 a year by the medical testing firm Randox, um, who, by what we can only assume is the most extraordinary of coincidences, have uh, landed half a billion quid's worth of COVID contracts. And he was also paid, and this is the thing that really got me, £12,000 for 24 hours work a year. This is while he's working as an MP, by a sausage-making company. That is, that's £500 an hour by a sausage-making company for four hours every two... Now, questions arise from this. How the f- does anyone earn £500 an hour, close to a million pounds a year pro rata from a sausage-making company, unless they have developed either a genetically modified pig that grows pre-sausaged with a torso <laughs> consisting of tubes of flesh held together by a thin membrane of skin, or a means of turning unused leftover sausages back into live pigs? There are more questions than answers from this. Also, why would a healthcare company want to pay £100,000 a year to a guy who's 
pre-politics professional working background was in the leather industry, was he advising them on whether or not to coat their COVID test kits in real leather, fake leather or no leather? It's, um, I mean, Stuart, there's been so much in, uh, as we're talking about, recent British politics that has not shown this country's democracy in the most sparkling of, uh, of life. Well, I like the way you could see the mechanics of it. You know, we're, we're all aware that um, each morning some Tory MP draws the short straw and has to go round all the morning news programmes <laughs> trying to cover up for all the lies and mistakes. And this time it was quasi Quarteng. And he was sent out, when he was sent out in the morning, he was still under the impression that, um, that Owen Patterson was going to be reprieved and that all the laws were going to be overturned because they'd voted for that to happen. And he overdid it. He went mad and he started saying that they were going to the woman, the woman in charge of the com- com- of the inquiry should resign, all this sort of thing. He was really selling it. Oh, he was being a really it. good Tory loyalist, even as he was doing those interviews. Somewhere else, it was being decided that they weren't going to do any of that, and that it was all going to be withdrawn. So not only was he thrown under a bus, like everyone that was told to vote for it, but then the bus reversed back <laughs> over him again, and then drove back over him again on the way out. And uh, it couldn't happen to a better person, really, because he's he's always sent out. He overstates the case, you know, like when. When Nick Robinson found himself just having to say to him, you know, when um, Kwarteng was saying that um, Johnson was a beacon of integrity and had done so much to improve standards in public life, <laughs> Nick, Nick Robin, even Nick Robinson, who is a former head of the university conservative organisation, had to say to him, can you give one example of that? <laughs> <laughs> that's, I don't that's, mean to be rude, yeah, but just off the that's top why, of my head. That's why I sort of felt it had kind of reached the end of the road a bit, and this might be more damaging than we think. But I don't know. But I thought it was great. It was great seeing that. that. And it's a strange hill to die on to defend Owen Patterson. This is a man who was, when he was environment minister, was a, cl- a climate change sceptic and was um, among, amongst all the expensive scandals. His was one of the maddest ones. It was for a duck house. He claimed for a duck house. Although the man who's currently defending him is education secretary, Nazim uh, Zahawi. Yeah, yeah. He put in for underfloor heating for his horse. <laughs> Oh, come on. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, no, he did. No. He did. He got the taxpayer. Because there's nothing. The country can't have a cold horse in a, um, in a politician's house. They've got house. hooves. They don't even feel the cold. So we felt the horse was his advisor at the time. So that's... <laughs> anyway, I felt like it had, to, 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 die, you know, to die on the hill of protecting the duck house climate change sceptic <laughs> man seemed, unless, of course, the real fear was that if they keep doing investigations, eventually, because Whit- everyone's going to get caught, because like Whittingdale, who was going to be put in charge of the new committee on investigating things, was himself investigated, wasn't he, for taking an all-expenses-paid trip to the MTV Awards with a dominatrix. <laughs> Although, admittedly, he wasn't paying her because she was his girlfriend right. so it was not that oh, didn't right. add up but you know so well, let, let he was never <laughs> taken on all expenses paid trip to <laughs> so a major musical award. with a dominatrix the first, first stone yeah. yeah i know the whole thing is so brazen that i can't tell if it is a tipping point towards good or the end, or the end yeah. it's just it's going to be bad forever now yeah. and there's no coming back because it's like the, the What's amazing is the story is so full of surprises and then very low expectations barely being met. Just amazing. So you've got um, Owen Patterson being investigated, then found egregiously breaching lobbying rules, then recommended 30-day suspension. So the government, forgetting that they have an audience of, say, 60 or so million people that pay their wages, uh, then decide that... (laughs) There's a lot of kids paying tax there. There's, well... (laughs) Kids start young today. Yeah, mums and dads are paying for the money. Okay, right. That's right. They're, they've got avocados to buy. Remember that. That, uh, that they try to change the rules 
So first they they over they they vote against him uh, being suspended for 30 days for breaking the rules and then having the audacity to say, we actually need to look at the rules, not to look at him. And then in a wild turn of events, Labor obviously says, oh, that's a bad idea. And then even some Tories, like even some Tories are going, look, we, we love f***ing people over. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> big fan of it, been doing it, part of our MO, really part of, of our manifesto. At the same time, this might be even a little bit too galling for us, so we might just abstain. Yeah. Like that's... I mean, I even wondered when it, when it f- started whether it was some sort of joke. Whether yes. they thought, let's prove how unstoppable we are <laughs> yes. by, by wasting our credibility and, and, and goodwill in getting this bloke off, and let's see if it makes any difference. Yeah, you know, it's like, like when an Trump experiment. said he could shoot someone in the street, it wouldn't make any difference. Yeah. This almost seemed like... <laughs> An experiment in testing the limits of public tolerance. A hundred percent. And that now that the government's done a twenty, like a, a U-turn in twenty-four hours, the papers are saying like, "Oh, the government's integrity has taken a hit." And that is something that this government has consistently impressed us with. That just when you think there's no more integrity to lose, yeah. they start digging to lose more. Right. I think it's inspiring. So, so can you hit? A non-existent bit of integrity. Can you hit is zero that, integrity yeah. by 2000? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. trying to hit a non-existent <laughs> cricket ball is quite quite difficult. You just... I mean, the, the great irony of all of this is Owen Patterson has just had a gutful. He's resigned, which ironically has given him more integrity. And now I'm like, maybe I would vote for him. <laughs> just when he was a Tory, I wouldn't. But the fact that he's resigned and not being kicked out, I'm like, maybe he's got something to offer. Yeah, it's quite an old school thing to do, resign, isn't it? It's what politicians used to do in a better time. It's what women do. It's what women do. It's not what. So if you look in Australia, all of the female politicians that have been caught out for corruption, for using, you know, expense accounts incorrectly, uh, incorrectly, lying and stealing, um, they've stepped down. They're like, yep. And men are like, I feel like I've got another five years in me. How do you. Can we do that? Um, Well,. uh, just just over the last couple of hours, apparently Downing Street has declined, according to The Guardian, to rule out the possibility that Owen Patterson could get a seat in the House of Lords um, <laughs> after stepping down as an MP. So, Wait, long live democracy. Sorry, that's not a joke? No, no, no. It's, it's a genuine, genuine website. It's, it's, uh, I know I swear a lot, but yeah. Jesus f***ing Christ. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> Can I just say that you asked us to look at a story with this headline. Okay. Squid Game cryptocurrency scammers mm. vanished with 3.3 million. And then the subheading for it in Reuters was Crypto Coin Riding Squid Game High Craters After Dizzying Rally. I don't know what any of that is about. <laughs> I don't know what any well, of it means. I don't know what cryptocurrency is. I don't really know what Squid Game is. I suspected it was some game that Boris Johnson used to play at Eton. <laughs> <laughs> You're thinking of soggy, soggy crackers, I think it's yeah, called. But I don't really, I don't really know what that is, and I didn't really think there was time for me to understand right. it and then have a funny opinion about it. Well, it's, I mean, it's to do with cryptocurrency, so yeah, you're not su- well. You're not supposed to understand it. Right, that's, okay. that's that's how it works by right. people not understanding it. Right. And Squid um, Game is a Netflix series, which is the most watched series of all time yeah. on Netflix. It's and the guy got a flat rate for it, and no. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I don't think that that's <clears throat> unusual in... Um, oh, no. In... Well, that's why they have to hide the viewing figures, so they don't have to pay anyone anymore. Yeah. yeah. 
But, so, I mean, but, so do you know the conceit of Squid Game? People have to do bad things for money. Yes, people. Yeah, but that's just life, that's isn't it? Life in, well, in um, that's showbiz. <laughs> showbiz, baby. She says, wiping the sides of her mouth. Um, I did not get paid well enough for that. No, I um, in in South Korea, there's uh, extraordinary gambling debts, and so it's a, a reflection of society there, or like inspired by a a, a phenomenon that they they experience there, um, and. What I mean, it's it's very very hard for me to sympathise with people that have invested in fake money, in digital money, cryptocurrency, that's associated with a show about people who are desperate that are being exploited, looking for a quick way to make money. It's right. like I don't know how to feel sorry for you. There or, were a few flags on that one. There's a few flags. Um, the fact that it's not linked officially to the show and they've never said it's been linked officially to the show. It's like, I don't know if you've ever read an unofficial biography, but that's a red flag. You stay <laughs> away. You st- If it says unofficial, I've only read one and that was the Dave Grohl unofficial biography and the author was like, I had a Nirvana CD and I got to speak to an old neighbour of Dave's parents and here's some opinions they had on the education system. Like it is... <laughs> Nothing, nothing to do with it. Um, so I, I should also say at this point that anyone speculating in uh, the Buglon uh, cryptocurrency, that has nothing to do with, with this show. <laughs> nothing. Is it like when tabs of LSD used to have pictures of Disney characters on them? Well, they hadn't actually been They hadn't made been cleared. <laughs> yeah, it's not official Daffy Duck merchandise. <laughs> I mean, in 14 years that I've been doing the Bugle, there have been many stories that have encapsulated everything about the world mm. that we broadcast in from and predominantly for but i don't think anything can quite match a made-up currency based on a made-up tv show uh run by anonymous anonymous is that the term um basically concertinaing the entire economic ponzi and bubble processes into the lifespan of a moderately tenacious butterfly i mean i think this is just everything again everything about the modern world the scams estimated to have earned its perpetrators 3.3 million dollars after they snaffled the money that had been invested and the value of the non-existence uh, whatever the f*** they are uh, dropped from a high of over $2,800 to one third of a cent in apparently in, oh. in uh, a minute or something I don't I don't really understand it so it's like stocks yeah. and shares but there's there's nothing nothing exists yes yeah. I mean at least there were some actual f***ing tulips um again some some more Kind of context on this: the global cryptocurrency market is worth two point six trillion dollars, which is worth two thousand three hundred Congo Basin rainforest yeah. preservation projects. Oh so. God! <laughs> I was just wondering. Oh God, that's so, so awful. <laughs> well, that brings us to the end of this. Uh, what has been it extremely long to the end of a lot of things. Bugle recording. Um, Stu, do you need someone to take you home? No, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. <laughs> Just text me. Yeah, just text yeah. me. When you... Oh God, uh, we did have a few other other stories that we'll, we'll maybe come back to uh, next week. Next week's show is a live bugle at the Odeon in Leicester Square as part of the Podicon Festival with uh, Nish Kumar and joining us by the magic of the internet, NATO Green. Uh, tickets are available. Online, it's on the 13th of November at 7pm. Bring all your friends and family. We might even have 
shitloads of old worthless merch that we might try and hawk. Cut pro. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Uh, some excellent high-quality stuff that's been... That's a fungible token, isn't sitting it? ...sitting in my attic for f***ing years. It's still got John Oliver's face on it. Um, That'll <laughs> so, be worth more. <laughs> um, so do come along to uh, to the gig. Uh, it will be, um, well... <laughs> Hopefully, just as just as optimistic as this one has been. Uh, well, thank you both for uh, for coming on on the bugle. It's been really, really great to the point where I am in mild hysteria right. of, of emotions <laughs> being right. here. All right. Well, it's been been lovely, yeah. lovely to have you on. Yeah. Do you have any other shows li- live or otherwise to oh, tell our listeners when's about? When does this go out? Uh, tomorrow. Okay. Well, um, uh, I'm in um, in the next few. Uh, Weeks. I am at Everyman Cinemas in Liverpool, um, uh, Broadgate in London, um, Leeds, um, Bristol, um, Dalston in London, and the Midland Arts Centre in Birmingham, showing um, the film that I made with Michael Cumming of Brass Iron Toast, which is called King Rocker, about the Nightingales Birmingham cult band. Um, and it's, it was edited by people that know about comedy, me and Michael, so there's big laughs if you see it in the cinema. <laughs> and um, then on the abandoned Snowflake Tornado tour, which now has extra culture war resonance, is, um, <laughs> reconvenes in January for its um, last hundred or so dates from January to July. Yeah. Uh, I... I have a couple of things. I, I made a show, I filmed a show in Australia called Wakefield and it's a drama series uh, and that is still on uh, iView in Australia. It's also showing, if we have American listeners, it's showing on Showtime on Monday nights at 9pm. Um, I think it'll be episode three next week and uh, it's been nominated for eight actors, which is like our BAFTAs. We found that this week, which is very exciting. Um, I'm also... Doing my first work in progresses of the three shows I'm doing next year at Soho Theatre in a couple of weeks. So you can go to my um, Instagram profile. I think I have the tickets there. Um, I have not updated my website because admin is very close to the thing that will push me over the edge. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, or you can go to the Soho Theatre website. So the, the show is called The Motherfucking Trilogy. <laughs> And the first show is about uh, pregnancy and the second show is the birth story and the third show is about um, new parenthood. Wow. So um, if you want to see the first, it's, it will be in a very bad state. No, but that is an extremely ambitious and worthwhile thing to do. I mean, it's really great. And it and it, it flies in the face of contemporary trends of reducing all comedy content to a shareable um, seven-second clip <laughs> yeah, to, yeah. Uh, to come out of the gate of this yeah. with a with a Dune-style trilogy. Yeah, yeah. It's really impressive. It's my, it's my Lord of the Rings. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Let's hope I can pull it off. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure that Sophocles wrote a mother f***ing trilogy mm. as well. Well, the f***ing will be crossed yeah. out. Right. But the idea is... Uh, I have updated my website... What? ...for the first time in... Well, I mean, ever. What uh, are you doing then? I, well, I have a tour uh, from uh, about the 24th of February for about a month, uh, about 20 little uh, art centre venues around the UK, so I do book tickets for every single one of those gigs at andyzaltzman.co.uk, which is now a very basic one-page website that doesn't work particularly well on mobiles. But there we go. That is huge progress. Well done. Thank you for listening, Buglers. To join the Bugle Voluntary Subscription Scheme, go to thebuglepodcast.com and click the donate button.
Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs>